0: Our reading tonight is from Matthew 27, verse 57 to 66. Matthew 27, verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir... We remember how that imposter said, Well, he was still alive. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the team to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud, w- fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stain and setting a guard. I'm going to invite Simon to come and uh, preach tonight. And just before he does so, I want to, come up, Simon. (laughs) I want to pray for him before he brings the word. Thank you, Father God, for for Simon. Thank you uh, for what he's got to share with us tonight. Uh, Please bless him as he shares with us. Please open our hearts to uh, hear what you have to say to us. And please uh, use him and all that he has uh, for your glory tonight, Father. In your name, amen. Amen.
1: Good evening, everybody. God, (laughs) Roger's not not this tall, I'm sure. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, when Roger asked me to speak on Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 to 66, it reminded me of one of my journeys around Europe. I had the great privilege of going to the city of Pompeii. Now I don't know if anyone's been there or knows the the, the history of Pompeii, but in AD seventy nine Pompeii was partially destroyed by a volcanic eruption and it was buried under four to six metres of ash and pumice and it was nearly it was lost for seventeen hundred years. One thousand seven hundred years. I think that's a long time to be, but just to lose a city, really. When they found the site, they found a lot of strange statues dotted all over Pompeii. Some of these statues were of people standing, and some were some were kind of in a crouching position. And they even found a statue of a dog. Um, and they soon realized that. Because the volcano had erupted so quickly and unexpectedly, the statues were actually real people, solidified. One such statue was of a Roman god. A Roman god, they believe, had been asked to guard the city. So he stood at the entrance of Pompeii. And when the the volcano erupted and all this ash and I guess everything else that spews out of volcano was coming toward Pompeii, this Roman soldier didn't budge. He stood his ground and he stayed there and he guarded the city because they could tell by the location of where he was that he must have been at the entrance of the city. And when the historian was telling me this, Well, he was speaking in Italian, but you have one of those fancy little headphones, you know. When I was listening to the translation of the historian, I thought at the time, what an impossible task to stand guard and protect a city from a volcano. Impossible. And when I read this passage, I thought of that. I thought... Of the same situation. I thought these guys had an impossible task. If we can read verse 65, it says this. Verse 65 Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. The chief priests and the Pharisees wanted to to take a special step in order to guard the tomb to ensure that Jesus' disciples did not steal the body. And so they posted a guard of soldiers. Now, we don't know how many people a guard of soldiers is. Some people speculate it could be as many as 50 soldiers, and that's before you take into consideration the temple god, the same god that would have arrested Jesus on the night he was betrayed. But we do know that these, these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, would have been highly trained, and the temple gods would have been quite aggressive. So nobody would have dared to intervene and try to break into this tomb. But just to make sure, No one got in there. Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, they wanted to make the tomb secure by placing a seal. The word used here for seal is the same word we find in the book of Daniel when King Darius goes and seals the tomb where uh, where Daniel was put in the, the lion's den. The word used here is a legal seal that is placed on documents, letters or possessions, or in this case a tomb. As Joe quite elegantly eloquently <laughs> as quite eloquently said last week that it is very unusual to put a, um, a a criminal from a cross in a tomb. She said last week that you would have just left. Uh, a body on the cross for it to, to decay. So to put the seal on this tomb would have been very unusual, but it would have been a sign that nobody is to get in here. They wanted to block anybody getting in, or more importantly, anybody getting out. As long as the seal remained unbroken, it guaranteed that the contents inside were safe and sound. So I think Pilate and the Jews here are unconsciously saying, listen guy, we need to keep Christ in the tomb. They might as well, to be honest, have asked the sun not to rise. Or the stars not to come out. Or they might as well have asked a Roman soldier to stand guard at the gates of Pompeii and protect the city from a volcano. In other words, it was an impossible task the soldiers were sent upon. But as good Roman soldiers, they did as they were told. The door of the tomb was closed by the great round rock, shaped like a huge cartwheel, which ran into a groove. It is estimated that this stone would have been about two tons in weight. But one thing existed that they did not reckon with. That there was not a tomb in the world that could imprison the Son of God. Pilate... The Jews, the Roman soldiers, even the disciples to an extent, still did not understand the purposes and plans of Jesus Christ. Verses 63 and 64. See this. So they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. What is the last deception? This last deception is that he will rise. And the first deception is that he is the Messiah. So, my... I want to focus on those two points this evening. So what did the Jews doubt? That Jesus was Messiah and that he was going to rise again on the third day. So Jesus, the Messiah. If we can turn to Isaiah chapter 9 in our Bibles. Or if not, I would read it. Isaiah 9, verse 6. And it says this. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our great hope and the light to a dark world. And we have a choice. We can either believe and accept this notion and become light with him, or doubt can cast its ugly shadow over our lives. And we can reject this God and King and live in darkness. If we choose to believe, Matthew says in chapter 5, if we believe in the Messiah, Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a ball. Instead, they pray... Put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then we should shine so much in our lives that a person could not be around us for more than a week without knowing the gospel. If we believe in the Lord and reflect his glory and light, then we should also believe in the power that he bestows upon us. Jesus says, you will do greater things than I will ever do. Lights are intended for guidance. To guide us on a dark road when we're going home at night. Or to guide ships during a storm from crashing into the rocks likewise if we believe in the Messiah we need to believe that we are the light to help those around us who are in the dark we are to point sinners to this wonderful counselor when it seems people need him now more than they ever have done the Jews and the Pharisees believed in something But they followed a false light as they did not comprehend who Jesus was. They wanted to keep Jesus locked up in the tomb. The question is, do we understand and comprehend our Lord and our Saviour? Do we believe that He is the Messiah and the light of this world? If so, how strong is our light in this world? When people see us, are we merely a flame flickering like on a candle? Or are we a giant beacon in the darkness? Are we guiding those who need it the most? Or are we trying to keep Jesus locked up in the tomb with his power and his glory and his majesty? The second doubt the Jews had was this. Jesus was going to rise on the third day. Jesus had openly and clearly declared His resurrection and no power on earth or in hell could prevent it from occurring. And I would love to talk about the resurrection tonight. Oh, I would love to talk about the power of Jesus and His resurrection. But I don't want to talk about next week's sermon. No power on heaven or earth could prevent it from occurring. These finely trained Roman and Jewish soldiers couldn't prevent it. Pilate couldn't prevent it. The stone in front of the tomb couldn't prevent it. Not even the devil himself could prevent the resurrection of Jesus. And even today we have those who try to keep Jesus in the grave. The atheists can't do it. Historians can't do it. Richard Dawkins can't do it. Scientists such as BBC's Brian Cox, he can't do it. As fascinating as he is, he may try to make humanity believe it, but even the devil himself cannot do it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever something mysterious and yet wonderful happened inside that tomb it was a transformation death yielded to life darkness gave way to light defeat surrendered to victory and we are victorious if we believe in the Messiah every time a person is born again this resurrection scene is repeated In a sense, for you see, the human heart is like a tomb, it is full of sin, it is independent from God, and ultimately, it reeks of death. And there's a stone set before the entrance of our lives with the potential to govern our actions, our will, our desires, our deeds. It is a mark of separation between God, His power his guidance, his wisdom, and ourselves. But we have a decision to make in our lives, whether to allow the, this, the stone to be removed and allow God into our lives to help us grow, to transform us, to develop us on a daily basis, or to block God, to keep the stone there, to keep Jesus in the tomb, to keep his power locked away, from our lives. You see, the Jews set a stone before the tomb to try and block the glory and working of God. And just like the Jews placed that huge stone to block God, I sometimes wonder, what stones do we put in our lives to block God and His transforming power? None of us are the finished article. All of us are flawed and struggle with the capacity for sin. We all need God's transforming power in our lives to change whether it is issues we may have. Issues with people. Personality traits we need to deal with. Perhaps we have some baggage which we are carrying from years gone by that we still haven't let go of. Perhaps we have issues of forgiveness To forgive other people and their transgressions against us or others. Or we may even have issues of to forgive ourselves for our past sins. Until we can forgive others and ourselves, how can God truly use us? Might I suggest that we all have a huge stone in place in our lives, in one way or another, which can come between us and God. What stones do we have in our lives which separate us from God's transforming power? I believe each of us have aspects we need to work upon and hand over to Him. Only when we allow God to remove these obstacles, to roll the stone away or to remove the stones and things we have blocking God and His transforming power, can He work in us to transform And only then can we be light in a dark world. And this process is called sanctification. This is the act or process in our lives of being made holy in the presence of the Lord. Only then can we truly be advocates to this wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Are we Releasing Jesus in our lives or blocking his transforming power. There's an old hymn, old, old hymn, we're going to sing later on. And the first verse says this, Gracious Spirit, dwell with me, I myself would gracious be, and with words that help and heal, would thy life and mine reveal, and with actions bold and meek, would for Christ my Saviour speak? May God grant us the courage to believe and then to share our faith and assurance with those who are still without Him. This is probably my shortest sermon I've ever spoke upon. But I think, for me, this has been such a challenge because I believe I have huge boulders in my life which separate me from my Lord and my Saviour boulders I still have to deal with I struggle to roll them away it's only with his power can I truly roll that stone away and allow Jesus out to deal with the issues in my heart and my life and only then once the Lord has dealt with these issues can I be a true beacon in in this dark world I would like us, if you would, with your permission, to just pray for the next two minutes. To pray individually in our own heads, in our thoughts. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I would like us to just be still and to pray to God and ask Him to reveal those stones in our lives, those barriers in our lives which separate us from, from God. Which separate us from his transforming power and presence in our lives. What issues do God does God need to deal with in our lives? What aspects could we perhaps change or give to him in order that we can be a light in this dark world? In order for us to continue, continue being transformed so we can be holy, we can become more like Jesus every day. When people see us, Do they see Christ shining in and through our lives? If not, we need to ask the question, why not? I know people don't see Christ in me as much as I would like them to. Because I still have a long journey ahead. I hope one day when I'm old and grey, I can become more like my Lord and my Saviour. Let us please pray for just two or three minutes. Seek the Lord for his transforming presence and I close in prayer.